Good morning. Welcome to High Point Online. My name's Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be with you as usual. Whether you're watching from the West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, uh, people are participating and engaging in online church all over the place, and we're thrilled uh, that you are here and part of High Point. Great to be with you this morning. I want to talk to you about something that's a little bit different today. I want to talk to you about your relationship to your city, your community. I want to talk to you about the way in which you speak about the place where you live, the place where God has put you, the, the, the placement that he has on your life. Now, understand this. As a pastor, I spend the overwhelming amount of time and energy in ministry helping people navigate relationships, how they love God and how they love other people. If you watch last week's message, the entire message was on how we as a church get to love our neighbor. But what does it look like to actually love your neighborhood, right? What does it look like to love the city that you're in and the community that you're in? That's kind of an unusual uh, thing to talk about. And yet we see this principle at work in the scriptures, but many times we don't spend a great deal of time talking about it. We spend time understandably talking about forgiveness, the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life, navigating conflict in the relationships that are in your life. What is the gospel? How does it bear fruit and make a difference, etc., etc.? But what does it look like for you to love and be a blessing to your city, to your community? Does God tell us to do that? Are you instructed to do that? Does the Bible talk about that? And if so, what on earth does that look like? I am so glad that you are asking all the right questions this morning. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to the book of John. It's the fourth book, uh, in, in the, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, one of the Gospels. Uh, we're in John chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, about Jesus' first miracle. He's at a wedding, he's at a party, and water is about to be turned to wine. It's a lengthy passage, and I'm going to read the whole thing right here, right now. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. As in, like, Jesus, we've got a major problem here. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Now, before I keep going, understand that when Jesus is speaking to his mom and he says, woman, you might read that and be like, that is offensive and insulting. Understand in the Greek, Jesus is not insulting his mom by calling her woman in this moment. If I called my mother woman, this would be a big problem. <laughs> okay. My hour has not yet come, Jesus says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, the very top. 
Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice Uh, brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I'm going to do something that can be a little dangerous sometimes as, as a preacher. I'm going to tell you what this what, what we, we know the intention of this passage is. In fact, we get it at the very end. We know that Jesus performs a miracle in this moment, and his glory is revealed. And the servants that are helping, they see. They know. His disciples see and know, and the Bible tells us that they begin to believe. His glory is revealed. Not only that, there is something very symbolic in this moment. Don't miss it. This is important. In that Jesus is beginning his miracles by, by, or beginning his ministry by turning water that was designed for ceremonial cleansing and washing. This is a religious thing about being cleansed before God. And here he is turning this water to wine. He's purifying it. Right? It's symbolic of the purification that Jesus is bringing in this moment to the temple, to the synagogue, to the soon-to-be church. There's something better, and that better is Jesus. But I also want to do something, and this is, this is the part that can be a little, you've you got to be careful as a communicator. I want to talk about some of the peripherals in this story that I, I think many times we miss, but they're significant for us. If you understand Jewish weddings at this time, it's a big deal, okay? Not that a wedding isn't always a big deal. Weddings are always a big deal. But in this instance, right, a Jewish wedding, uh, there's lots of custom and lots of tradition that goes with it. Cana is a small village. It's small. Most people would have known each other, even if you weren't BFFs, you know, with everybody. You have a measure of proximity, And so it is very likely that the entire village is invited to this wedding. That is not uncommon in smaller towns and smaller villages for it to be a community-wide event. The whole town is invited. And part of the custom of a wedding is that you would show, you'd, you'd put together an extravagant feast and you would demonstrate extravagant hospitality. And many times it would last for days, okay? You're talking about a wedding party that lasts for days that the whole town's invited to. It's extremely expensive, but this is, this is, this is how the world worked. And so, When you're talking about this couple, this family, the, the, the two people getting married here, to run out of wine in this moment, this isn't just like, you know, your close friends or your family that are, you know, they're going to be like, oh, you know, can you believe what happened at their wedding? You know, what a funny story. You're going to be able to talk about this, you know, for years to come. No, 
That's not the situation at hand here. This would have been a moment that would have scarred this couple probably the rest of their lives. It would have stamped them because for us, we look at, we look at hospitality many times as kind of optional, right? You send invitations to who you can kind of afford to, to bring to your wedding, right? And, 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 you know, you have a size cap that you're looking at and a budget and all that. That's not how things worked here, okay? Your, your reputation is on the line as, as somebody who is hosting and as somebody who follows God. Hospitality was a part of that. It was in the mix. It was who you were. And so to blow this would have been incredibly humiliating and damaging to your reputation. Not only to the family getting married, but to the master of ceremony. This would have been humiliating. The one in charge of the event. And to the community that's coming out, the city, the village, right? This is a big deal. This is a fun moment of celebration. And, you know, you're, you're coming to have a good time and you get there and, and the hospitality has dried up. Right? Understand, for us, this, wasn't, this wouldn't be a, a moment for offense. Here it would be. And it would have been normative for you to feel like you got shortchanged by the fact that there's no more wine. In, in where we are, where we live, where we're broadcasting this from, we're in an area of Atlanta called Kennesaw, and we just had a large community event called Pigs and Peaches that just took place. It's a big barbecue competition. It's a lot of fun. Thousands of people come for it from all over the place. Now. It's not a perfect illustration, all right? The segue's not flawless here. But understand, imagine you, you know, you got your kids and you're, you're getting out of the car and you're rolling to this community event. It's outside, it's hot. It is a normative expectation for you to be able to go to an event like this and, and be able to get something to drink and get something to eat. And you would expect to have some form of entertainment. Well, imagine, imagine you show up to Pigs and Peaches and that doesn't exist. You, you can't get anything to eat and you can't get anything to drink. You would naturally be frustrated, maybe even offended. It's pigs and peaches, but there's no peaches and there's no pigs. Well, what's the deal, right? You'd be asking, like, what's going on around here? Imagine that th this whole event is hosted by a family and now the stain and scar of that follows them for years to come. It's not a perfect illustration, but it's getting us closer to the magnitude of what took place. So what did Jesus do? Well, he performed a miracle. His disciples are beginning to believe. But understand, get, just catch this. Jesus blessed this couple. He was a blessing to them. He was a blessing to the master of ceremony. And he was a blessing to the entire village. The whole city is blessed by the life of Jesus. And the vast majority of them have zero proximity to him. They don't hear him preach. They don't see him teach. They aren't, uh, they aren't getting healed. You know, their, their bodies aren't getting healed in this moment. They're not walking with him. He's not dividing fish and loaves for them. They aren't experiencing anything. They're not shaking hands with him. They're, they don't even know who Jesus is. And yet his very life in this moment, the overflow of who he is, 
blesses them and their water is turned to wine. When Jesus turned water to wine, he not only blessed the couple getting married, but he blessed the entire community. When we talk about loving your city and loving the community in which you live, your village, so to speak, we're talking about you living in such a way that your life is a blessing to the people around you, whether they know you or not. You're called to bless your city. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. So Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and you have the people of God in exile, meaning they've been taken from their homes, and now they're in a foreign land. Okay, They're in Babylon. And the writer, Jeremiah, he's trying to encourage them, and he's encouraging them to settle down, take a deep breath, have families, build homes. And this is what he says. He says in Jeremiah 29, 7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If you want to love your city well, seek its prosperity, seek its peace. This is what we're taught to do. Now, this picture of exile that we see in the Old Testament, it doesn't just stay put there. It's it's carried through into the New Testament, and it's even carried through now. The picture of a people like you and I not quite belonging. This idea of exile. That you got one foot in this place, like you've been carried here, you live here, this is, this is your city. But in one breath, you've also been transformed by the gospel and who Jesus is. And the scriptures say that your citizenship is now where? It's in heaven. And so you have dual citizenship, so to speak. One citizenship is right here in the city in which you live. And then the other one is a heavenly kingdom. So what is it that we're supposed to do? And and we see this tension taking place historically throughout the church. And we don't oftentimes navigate it well. We either shrink all the way into our holy huddle. Right, and just uh, uh, just Jesus lovers over here and no more. Or we become fully engaged, right, in our communities, right, but we never actually get to the truth of the gospel that produces heart change. It's not one or the other, it's both. Seek the peace and prosperity of your city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So how do we actually do this? Peter writes about this uh, in the book of Peter, um, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now I'm going re- to take us through the whole text bit by bit. And we're going to break this down because what Peter and who Peter is writing to, he starts the entire letter out actually, uh, and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, right? Here's that language again. We see Jeremiah using it as well. We know you don't quite belong here, but, 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 but here's what you need to do as people who represent Christ. This is how you live. 
How do you seek the peace and prosperity of your city? How do you love your city well? Okay. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time in this moment right here. I mentioned a little bit of this last week in that the manner in which you live your life, it's a testimony to the people who are watching you, to the people who, who maybe know you from afar. Reject a life of sin and start living right. Now we can break it down into detail after detail, but the, the truth of the matter is all of us know. All of us know when there are things on the inside that, that are waging war, the sinful desires, right? Anger and lust and bitterness, jealousy, envy, all these things that are knocking on the door of our heart. And we've got to take a deep breath. We've got to pray. We've got to reject a life built that way and instead live a life of, of Holy Spirit pursuit. What, what's the, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5.22. This is the kind of life that we are to live. You live a holy life. A life set apart. A life that's different. And we don't have a chance of, of, of being a blessing to our city if our very, the interior of our life is a total wreck. And we're living in rebellion to God's way of living. Number one, as Peter instructs us, live a holy life. Turn away from sinful desires. Number two, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time, the rest of our time this morning. There's a lot, by the way, we could talk about in how to love and be a blessing in your city. But this is one that, that, that many times we don't know what to do with as, as, as the church and as Christians. So we're going to camp out right here, okay? <clears throat> in verse 12, Peter begins to write, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. What's happening here? Because many times we read this and we, we feel like this is an extension of living a holy life and it's actually not. Peter is talking about something that, that Christians are called to do in this moment. We call this social responsibility. We call this having a social ethic. I, I, what you'll see on your screen uh, is literally just my paraphrase, do good things, okay? We're going to make this really simple. Uh, and, and the reason I put that in there is because Peter writes, he starts off by saying, live such good lives. Right? Live a good life. Do good things. 
And then he goes in and he talks about the emperor and the governor and the rulers of the day. They're, they're, they're put in place by God to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. But what does it mean to do right in this instance? Because last time I checked, governors and rulers of the day aren't commending anyone for having patience. You're not getting awards for that. You know what I mean? Like th this isn't about the fruits of the spirit being at work and active in your life. So what is Peter referring to here? In his book, Benefactions, the Roman world of Dio Christistum, Christistum, excuse me, mispronounced it. C.P. Jones writes about the, the idea of, of Christian social ethic and Christian social responsibility, and what was happening in Greece and Rome at the time of the early church. He says, the cities of Anatolia, and I quote, and other regions of the East had long been supported by public benefactors who saved the communities from famine, deflated prices of essential commodities in times of scarcity, paid for the installation of water supplies, enhanced the life of the city with fountains, widened roads, erected theaters and public buildings, and provided for child allowances. This method of providing for the needs of the city, which was well established in Greek times, was certainly continued during the early centuries of the Roman Empire. And what Peter is referring to here are Christians who have means, who, have, who, ha who are well off, who have the ability to do what? Bless the city. And by doing so, by bearing some social responsibility, their actions would be so honorable. They would be so noble that nothing bad could be said of them. I may not understand this person's way of life, but you know what? I can't help but, 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 but be impressed by the fact that they're helping people with child allowances or, or, or road work or paying for a new theater in town. Now, we don't look at these things and think these are gospel-centric issues. And therefore, many times the church and Christians have long time abandoned the idea of having social responsibility. And everything Christian has had to do with your personal relationship with Jesus. But I'm telling you right here, right now, in the same way that Jeremiah tells you and me to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Peter is commending us. He's commanding us. He's encouraging us to be the kind of people who bless our community and who bless our city. We need to become people who turn water to wine. And so many of these people will never know your name. They'll never have proximity to you. And yet your very life is still a blessing to them. This is what it looks like to have a fully engaged gospel-oriented life. Now, are, maybe you don't have the means or the ability to widen the road in front of your house or to build a theater, although that would be pretty rad. Let's be honest. Maybe you do. Go for it. Be a blessing to your city. What are the needs? But I promise you there are other ways that you can be a blessing in this moment. What about, what if you joined the, the, the neighborhood HOA? right? 
And your presence was allowed to, 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 to be there and your, your, your blessing by input and your blessing by, by maturity and character and integrity and calming people down because we know HOAs love to get a little bit feisty. You're called to be what? To seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That means that you're called to be a peacemaker, not a peace finder, a peacemaker. Get up in that HOA, right? And be somebody who produces peace, who produces wise decision-making. Join the, the parent-teacher association at your school and do the same. I've got a breakfast with community leaders once a month, and I'll be honest with you, most of the time I sit there and I'm quiet. There's a couple pastors, you know, that are there and me being one of them. And there's the chief of police that's there and all these other people who I would consider to be benefactors. And most of them are starting 501c3s and they've got organizations that they're partnering with to help those who are in, you know, child trafficking or child abuse or, or, or homeless situations. And there's just one thing after the next. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't grow up practicing my faith in a way that bore itself out in, in, with social implication. And so I sit there even now, and I feel like I'm, I'm the learner. I don't naturally think this way, but I'm so thankful to be in a room filled with people that are pushing me to put, to, to put my faith to action and to do this well. You might be familiar with U2, only one of the most famous bands in the world. But I love Bono, right, leader of U2. He's a vocal Christian, follower of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that every decision he, I mean, hear me. I'm not vouching for everything that he does. But in similar fashion, when we talk about doing something, right, with your faith or, or being a, a benefactor, I don't know if you remember the Red Campaign. Right? Well, that was started by Bono. And here's a guy that people might have dismissed thinking this guy's lost his mind. He's professing to love Jesus, you know, eye rolls in the you know, back of the head. And then he comes out with this to try to end AIDS throughout the world. And they raise millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to help people who are in need. What do you say to that? Nothing. You say, amazing job. There's nothing you can say because it silences everyone else. This is how we love our city well. What's God calling you to do? What step is he asking you to take? Is it financial? Is it volunteering with Parks and Rec? Is it being a part of the neighborhood HOA or the PTA? Is it serving at a homeless shelter? How do you love your city well? You bear social responsibility. And you know that everywhere your foot treads, you're filled with the Spirit and the blessing of God goes with you. Oh, we're not called to be in, in conquest of our communities and our cities. We're called to bless them. And everywhere you go, you get to be a blessing. Where is God calling you 
to take that next step. Be a blessing today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you that you call us to be a blessing, Lord. And God, I'm asking that you would help us to do that today. Simple steps, Lord, volunteering, serving, giving. God, showing up at, 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 at community council meetings, city council meetings, and discovering what the needs are. Lord, you've, you have invited us, you've called us, Lord, to be the kind of people who step into these situations and bring the light and hope of the gospel. Lord, literally, if it's just something as simple as, as having Christian character and integrity in some of these moments. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Wherever we're watching from, I pray that you would move us to take a step. Let us not be a people that shrink back. Let us not be complacent. Let us not be apathetic. Let us hear this message and do something with it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Do something today with this message. Make a plan. Take a step. Pick up social responsibility as a part of your worship to God. And let's make a difference. Let's love our cities. See you next week.